welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, we'll be in Romans 12 this morning. Romans 12. Uh, many of you don't know this about me, but I want to tell you a story. Uh, uh, this is actually kind of embarrassing to admit, but in junior high school, I was actually, um, I was a really, really good basketball player. And um, I, I know that that may seem silly looking at me now, but the truth is that I was really good. I had D1 potential. Seriously, I did. And I know that, and I know my coach thought that. He never told me that, but I know he thought that because of the way he used me. I was his closer in basketball games. If you don't know what that means, here's what coach would do with his, his brilliance of strategy and with my skill set that he knew he needed at certain times. Here's what he would do. He didn't want me to get tired before he needed me, so he would let me sit on the bench the entire game. What are you laughing at? This is a strategy. He'd let me sit on the bench the entire game and rest. That way I would have fresh legs. And when we had about two minutes left in the game and we were up 20 to 30 points and coach was scared the other team was going to come back, he would put me in. And, and uh, I don't want to brag. I, what are y'all laughing about? I, I don't want to brag, but every time coach put me in a game and we were up 20 to 30 points, I never let the team lose. I never let the team lose. And so, okay, you guys are catching my sarcasm there. I was not a good basketball player. I did get in the game sometimes, though. I got off the bench and into the game. And um, I, you know what I remember? For the years in junior high school that I played basketball, I spent most of it sitting on a bench. I did nothing. I was good at nothing. But I don't remember a single thing about that. I don't remember the teams we played. I don't remember who scored points. You know what I do remember? I remember when coach put me in the game. And to this day, 20 years later, I can remember every single point I put up on the scoreboard. All five of them. I really, I mean, it's, it's not, I'm not lying. All five of them I did. No, seriously though, here, here's the difference. I can tell you exactly where I was standing when I drained a three-pointer. I can tell you I did this nerdy little spin when I did it too because I was so excited. I, I can tell you where they were passing the ball when I stole it and I made a layup left-handed. Caden, if you need some extra coaching, man, just hit me up. A couple hundred dollars an hour. Okay, like, like I remember those things. Why is it I remember those moments that were just so few and there wasn't that many of them? But I don't remember all the time that I spent on the bench or what games we played or if we won a big game or if we lost a big game or who played or who did. Good. Why don't I remember those? Well, the reason that I remember the things that I did is because I got off the bench and I got into the game. And getting into the game meant something. I wasn't just there observing other people in the game. I was in the game and I was doing something. It meant something. And it occurs to me that the Christian faith is a lot like that. We can spend a lot of time as Christians on the sidelines watching everybody else play the game, go to war, do things for Christ. Or, or we can do something that means something. And we can get in the game ourselves. We're starting a new series today called Empty the Bench. And my goal for this series is I want the, the Bible to open us up. And I want us to experience that feeling within our faith. That we are not on the sidelines. That, that we are in the game. That we are working for God. That we are on the team helping others, um, helping others work towards mutual goals. And that we are committed to our team. And, and I think as a church, I think as a church, we need to be better about emptying the bench here. 
If you've you got your Bibles with you, this is in Romans 12. We're going to read some teaching of Paul. And uh, Paul was teaching to the church at, at Rome, or so the church at Roman, the church at Rome, and he was teaching them. And we're going to see this theme that he's going to start off our scripture with today, this theme that's going to be the base of everything we're going to talk about. So if you've got your Bibles, read with me verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. Paul speaking, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to the world, but be, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what, uh, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back there. So as Paul is teaching here, everything that we're going to read from this point forward comes back to one particular theme. is that if you belong to God, you are to live as a living sacrifice. If you're taking notes, your first take-home truth today is God plans to change you and use you. Write that down. God plans to change you and use you. So the question is, if God expects me to be a living sacrifice, what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Well, like, what does that look like? What, what's God asking of me there? Well, if, if you think about what a sacrifice is, we can see examples of this for in our lives. We can see examples of this in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they would take animals, and instead of keeping those animals, those animals could amount to wealth, those animals could be used to food, but what they did inside is they would take them to the temple to let them be slaughtered and burned as a sacrifice to God. So they would take something they could have used for one purpose, yet they used it for a purpose that they felt like was more important. That, that's what a sacrifice is. Everybody in here has lived sacrifice before. Like we sacrifice things of ourselves for things that we find are more important. We may sacrifice our money that, that, that uh, we get when we work for a house. We may sacrifice that because I would rather that money go for God to use it than for me to have it and use on myself. We sacrifice our time. Like I could be out doing my hobbies. I would really like to work on my golf game that I don't have. It's about as good as my basketball game. Like I would like to work on my hobbies, but I sacrifice that hobby so that I can spend time with my family. So at the base of it, what a sacrifice is, is when I take something I could use for one purpose and I decide something else is more important. I should use that. So, so when we're talking about being um, a living sacrifice, I think what a lot of us hear is we hear, oh, as a Christian, you need to be sacrificial. Now there's a difference in being sacrificial and being a, uh, a living sacrifice. To be sacrificial means I take something that I have or some different things that I have and I sacrifice those. I give them up. But to be a living sacrifice means I don't take the things that I have and sacrifice them for a higher purpose. I sacrifice me for a higher purpose. I take my life, my abilities, my wants, my desires, and I lay them all to the side so that, so that I can uh, do what God has called me to do. For in my entire life, instead of pursuing career or riches or sports or fame or anything else the world has to offer, for my entire life living as a sacrifice, I focus on God. Now, practically, how do we do that? That sounds nice to say I'm a living sacrifice. I do these things. I want to do these things. But how does that actually look in my life? Well, Paul continues here. Uh, the first thing he says, if you want to be a living sacrifice, he says, do not conform to this world. What that means is that this world has a normal. Everybody in this world is normal except you. 
You and I are not normal. I love the verse. I always say it says for us to be odd. It says God is designing us to be a peculiar people, zealous of good works. We're supposed to be different than everybody else. So to be uh, not conforming means that I don't take part in the normal of this world. That means everything the world tells me is okay, I don't take part in. There's entertainment out there, and I say, hey, it's a living sacrifice. That's not coming into my house because I don't do drugs, sex, nudity, any of that stuff in my household. So I'm not going to watch that famous show that everybody else is watching. It means that when it comes to how we handle ourselves in front of people, and people go, oh, love is love. I don't conform to their view of love. I had a man tell me one time, he said when he was growing up, uh, he, he would not go home on the weekends sometimes because his dad's expectation was if you were anything, you were going to bring a different girlfriend home every week and she was going to spend the night with you. He says, so sometimes I just wouldn't go home. It was that much of an expectation. I could not go home for that reason. We don't conform to, to that culture of the world. It means that we don't get together and chant, let's go Brandon. It means that we don't spend our time and money making great of myself. It means that we are different than the world. We are not normal. Paul says instead of being conformed to this world, he says instead of being conformed, be transformed. Do you guys know what transformed means? It means to, thank you. It means to be changed. It means to be changed, to be different. There's a series of movies. I think they've kind of played that out now. But have you guys ever seen The Transformers? It's pretty awesome. It was a cartoon when I was little. They've made some really high action movies over the past 10 years with The Transformers. And if you haven't seen The Transformers, let me explain. Um, oh, this is going to sound weird now that I'm thinking of it. Robots from space have come to Earth. And they're here fighting each other for the good of Earth or control of the Earth or something like that. But big giant robots don't blend in in our world. So what these Transformers do is though they are robots, they will take the form of like a sports car or a semi-truck. They change from one thing to the other. When the Bible calls us to be transformed, what the Bible's calling us to do is to change from one thing to another. And it says this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What that means is that you're transforming, you're changing who you are because how you think is changing. What you think is changing, what you allow yourself to think is changing. It means that I let go of what I think, and my first question in my life is, what does God think? I don't know if that's that wrong. What does God think about that? I don't, I don't know if that's really right. What does God think about that? And, and when we do this, we begin to change from one thing, from us, to a new version of us. The Bible says that when we get saved, we are a new creation. We begin to grow as a new human being. See, following Christ means that we are constantly chasing transformation. We are constantly trying to change. And if we're honest, that's why we're here this morning. If this is your morning routine on Sunday, you're missing the whole point. We come here, we gather together with other believers who hold us accountable and support us. We open the word of God and we say, okay, God, change me. Make me think differently. Make me more like you. I don't want to be like me anymore. I want to be like you. So let's continue reading here for our next step in this process of being a living, living sacrifice. If you still got your Bibles open, read with me verse 3. Paul speaking still yet. He says, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Our next take-home truth, if you're taking notes, is changing requires correct perspective of yourself. 
So perspective is, when I look in the mirror, how do I view myself? We all have this picture of who we, who we think we are and how we think other people think of us. Like everybody thinks that I'm a good leader. Everybody thinks I'm a bad leader. Everybody thinks I'm good at my job. Everybody thinks I'm bad at my job. Everybody thinks that I do this really well. Everybody thinks I do that really poorly. Everybody thinks I'm funny. Everybody does not laugh at my jokes when I preach a sermon. Uh, like, like all of those things. We have this picture of who we are. But generally with this picture, I hate to burst your bubble. Most of the time when we're thinking of ourselves, we're really here. And we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm up here. Like, we don't really look at ourselves very well and assess who we are. We don't often have the correct perspective of ourselves. And that's a problem. Because if we're going to be transformed, it means that we have to be changed. To be changed, we have to see that we need a, need a, see that we have a need to be changed. Like, if I look in the mirror every day and go, I'm perfect, I'm wonderful, everything's great. How's God ever going to transform me? See, what the Bible calls us to do is look in the mirror and look at ourselves, the Bible says, soberly. What that means is with real eyes. Like, like I'm going to look at myself and I'm going to start asking the hard questions of myself. I'm going to start asking questions. These are introspective questions. Questions like, how's my heart? Well, sure, I've been at church. Sure, I'm dropping money in the offering plate, but how's my heart? I want you all to know I've had some conversations with God about my heart this week. Like we got to look and say, am, am I really, am I really truly in love with God or am I just going through the motions? We have to ask ourselves questions like, am I handling my emotions correctly or am I just flying off the handle at people and excusing it because I feel bad or mad or upset? I have to look at myself and say, am I actually spiritually growing or have I found the place where I'm just kind of stuck? I have to look at myself and say, what do I need to grow? But the most important question that we can ask ourselves, introspectively looking at ourselves, is I've got to ask this question, is what is God's plan for me? What is God's plan for me? And am I living within that plan? That's what, that's what God calls us to do, to constantly assess ourselves, to be transformed by looking at this. To do any of this, we have to be willing to say, we have to be willing to say, maybe my perspective of myself is not very good. See, here's the truth, and the reason that we're preaching through these verses is introspection will always get you off the bench. Because I look at my life, and I look at what God has done for me, and then in light of that, I look at me I cannot possibly look at myself and go, I'm doing pretty good. It's good enough. I'm content. I'm happy. When we look at our lives, when we look at our lives introspectively, what we look at was we'll say, hmm, I've never done what God called me to. I've never committed. I've never connected. I'm not serving. That's honest introspection. And honestly, if we look at ourselves and we find that we're never committing, connecting, and serving, that's not God's plan for us. God did not save you or me to sit on the sidelines and watch other people play the game. You know what many of us do? Many of us get saved and we're content. Like I'm just making it to heaven. God has saved me. He sent his son to die for me. I accepted that and then I'm going to heaven. And here's what we're thinking. Like we're going to walk into heaven and we're going to be like, oh, this is nice. I like that cloud over there. God, that was a nice touch. Streets, gold. Oh, yes. Perfect. God, thank you for letting me come here. This is awesome. For so many of us, that's what we're living for, is to walk into heaven and just be like, this is going to be good. But God didn't save us to walk into heaven and compliment the wallpaper he put in our mansion. 
God saved us so that when we come walking into heaven, we're like, hey, God, oh, this is cool. Yeah, oh, oh, I love that, yeah. And God's gonna be like, what are you looking over your shoulder for? He's like, I'm bringing some people with me. I don't know when they're coming, but I know they're coming here. Uh, God, I taught my children about you, and so I hope it's a while. I know you took me, but uh, they're coming, and I was just looking to see if they were here yet. Because, because I raised my children in a godly manner, my grandchildren are all going to meet me here. It's going to be wonderful. Oh, God, there was that one time when I was early for work. Remember, you woke me up early, and I just left for work, and there was that hitchhiker, and I thought, okay, well, I'm early, so I might as well stop and talk to this guy, and I shared with him about your love. He's going to be meeting me here sometime. I don't know when. Maybe he's already here. I haven't seen him in 20 years, but I'm bringing him with me. Oh, God... There's actually like over the past 20 years, I've worked with about 10 different people who I've shared with, uh, shared you with and they've committed to you and they've become followers across God. We're going to have a big reunion and we're just going to celebrate you. Actually, Jesus, you should come. Can you come over to my mansion while we celebrate you? Like as we're coming into heaven, God is not going to want us to be like, I'm here. Ta-da. <laughs> You're so lucky, God. That's not what he's looking for. When we walk into heaven, we should be marching at the head of an army of people following us. God didn't save us to sit on the sidelines. God saved us to get off the bench, to get in the game. And so if that's true of us, and if we, we look at ourselves, I've got to begin asking myself, where does God plan to use me? Like if God is going to use me, if that's his plan for me, it's like, what court am I going to get on? Where is he going to do this with me? How is he, he going to lead me to do this? Where does he intend to grow me at? If you still got your Bibles, let's read verses 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members of one another. Keep your Bibles open. We're still coming back. Next, take home truth. God plans to make you one with others. Now, that just took a weird curve there. We're talking about being a living sacrifice, and all of a sudden, Paul's like, oh, we're all one with each other, members and body. It's confusing. Let me break it down for you. Paul's using an example here to help us understand how God expects us to be used, how God plans to use us. He says, this, okay, it's like a human body. We all, we all have one of these things for now. God, one of these, we're not going to have it, but then we're going to get it back. It's a, it's a weird story. Like, like we have this, and, and our body has all of these different parts. Like, I've got fingers, I've got ears, I've got a mouth, I've got knees that don't work very good anymore because I played so much basketball, is what it was. Like, like, we've got all of these things, and Paul says, okay, so all of your body is made up of different parts, and all of those parts have essential functions. Your lungs are constantly bringing in air. Like, your body needs air, so that's what your lungs are doing. Your fingers are meant to manipulate things. You can move them around and change things around with your fingers. Um, you have ears that are going to process sound. Each part provides a function. But what you'll find is that every function of your body is complemented by another part of your body. Every part of our body is designed to be used with another part of our body. So, for example, let's say that you have teeth, but you don't have a jaw. You're never going to be able to use those teeth. Those two things were meant to be connected and work together. Let's say that you have muscles, but you don't have a heart or lungs. Then you're never getting blood flowing, ox oxygen supply that keeps those muscles alive. Our body parts are meant to be connected, and they create one body of different parts doing different things. We're going to talk about this more in depth next week. And so what Paul says is, hey, like a human body, like a human body is like a believer. Paul's point is that the individual part must be part of a whole to be useful. 
And this is an example of believers. Each, each individual of us, we have our own functions. We have our own abilities that God gave us. God, God has a plan for us. But here's what God knows. Is, is God knows that he has a plan for us, but to become useful, we must become a part of the whole. And so how Paul describes this, he says, okay, you're all different members, you're all different parts of a body. You are a part of the body of Christ. Oh, that sounds so weird. Like some of you are sitting in here today, you just got over communion. I'm going to eat what? I'm going to eat his flesh? I'm going to drink what? I'm going to drink his blood? Like we're, we're over that. And now, now I'm a part of the body of Jesus? That sounds weird. Well, it's not as weird as it sounds. Let me explain. When Jesus came here, he came here in human form. He, he came here as a human being. We call that incarnation. Jesus developed a physical body or was born into a physical body. I don't know how you would say it. What did Jesus do with that body? He traveled at that time the world that was accessible to him. And he spread, he spread his love to the whole world. He began to work out his love to the world. And eventually he used that body to work out his love for you and me on a cross. That's what that body was used for. Jesus, we studied John 1 a few weeks ago. The word became flesh. Why? Because Jesus was going to use that body to pay for my sins. He was going to have that thing nailed to a cross after being brutally beaten so that he could show his love to me. And he let that body die for three days. And then he came back. But see, Jesus, even though he came back from dead, you're not going to see Jesus bodily walking around right now. One day you will. He's coming back, but not at this exact moment. And so when we're talking about the body of Christ, it's a comparison. Jesus' physical body, Jesus ascended into heaven. His physical body is no longer here. So how does he now work out his love to the world? It's you. And it's me. Like we are the body of Christ. Some people will say we are the hands and feet of Christ. This is a way that Paul describes the church. We hold the role of spreading and working out Jesus' love to the world. And that phrase, the body of Christ, is used in seven different books in your Bible. It's that important to the analogy of understanding who we are and what we're called to do that it's mentioned in seven separate books of the Bible. So if you've got your notes out still yet, the next take-home truth we have is the body of Christ is individual people becoming part of the whole. So what's the point of all this? Well, the point for some of us here today is that the first step of getting off the bench is deciding what team you're on. I love to watch videos of people that are dumb. You guys ever see those people and there's a sporting event and everybody's having a great time, but there's that one crazy person who just runs out on the court like, ah, and they run out there. You guys know what I'm talking about? Sometimes they don't have clothes on, that's even worse. Like, 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 that's what sometimes we look like. That's what I would look like if I went down to Southside right now and tried to get back on the basketball team, just walk out in the middle of the court. Coach would still tell me to sit down, right? Like, that's what we look like sometimes. What, what we've got to do is if we want to take the next step in being used, God's plan is for us to become a part of the whole. And maybe we have to look at ourselves today and say, you know, I haven't been in the game. I'm not connected. I'm not striving with a team. It's time for me to become a part of the whole. And what we call this in our context is church membership. That, that you connect yourself, that you attach yourself to a body so that you can be used alongside of other people. Now, there's some misconceptions about membership. Now, first thing is I don't need to be a member of church. 
That, that's a misconception. I don't need to be a member of a church. I can, I can just have church on my own. I can do my own thing. I can show up to whatever church I want to go to this week. That's not correct. Because God has a plan for you. He has a plan for you in a specific place. And he wants to do something for you and in you. Some people will tell you, oh, well, being a church member is just about voting rights. I just want to show up on Sunday morning. I'm never going to go to a business meeting. I don't care what they do with the money. I don't want to vote. That's not it either. That's not the purpose of becoming a church member. I've heard people say to me, Brian, I don't know why I need to join a club. And yet others will tell you, well, being a church member makes you more special than everybody else. Also, not true. I want you to listen very closely. At Ramsey Heights, we are developing and continuing to develop what I want to call a high view of membership. And that is that church membership is important, not because you get rights, but because as a church member, you get responsibilities. You know, a lot of people don't like responsibilities. A lot of people don't want to be tasked. I'm glad my wife's not here this morning. She'd be looking at me right now. She's like, yeah, take out the trash. Like, a lot of people don't want to be tasked with the same thing over and over again. But the truth is, here's, listen, Jesus Christ died for the world. He gave his life on a cross. He came here. And you know he, who he said gets to spread that message? Me and you. That, that's a big responsibility. That's not a curse. That's not something to go, oh, I got to do that. That's something that God has blessed us with. The most important message the world will ever hear belongs to me and you until he comes back. That's a wonderful responsibility. So I want, I want you to listen to this. If you either are a member of Ramsey Heights, I want you to understand what you're a member of. If you are considering membership at Ramsey Heights, I want you to know what you are getting yourself into. And three, if you've never thought about it, I want you to listen and I want you to consider this. Here's the next take-home truth. Membership is commitment to being a part of and working with the whole. And this is God's plan for his people is that his people come together, they make up one church, that we come together as Ramsey Heights, and we each serve an essential function that complements others' work. And the only difference between that, let me take that back, it's not the only difference, a difference between that and what a lot of people really want to do with church is show up, they don't want to work, they don't want to commit, it's simply that we say, I'm getting off the bench, I'm getting in the game, and I'm getting significant playing time. Commitment can be scary. It can be scary. When uh, about nine years ago, I went on a blind date with this beautiful blonde woman with this wonderful smile. And I was sitting there the whole time. I was like, she's got to quit smiling at me or I'm in trouble. And we went on this blind date and it didn't take me but about two and a half, somewhere two and a half, three months. Like I remember, I remember vividly getting off the phone with her, setting my phone off to the side and staring at it and going, I'm going to marry her. I remember that conversation I remembered thinking, this is the answer to all my prayers. But yet, those of you who know us and knew us back then, it was three and a half years before we ever got on this stage and said our I do's. And the reason for that, don't tell her I said this, is my fault. I was a commitment phobe. I was scared to death. As a matter of fact, when I went to go buy her engagement ring, I pulled up in the parking lot of the mall, and I was sitting in my truck, I was like, I can do this, okay. And so I was like, I started to walk in, I started turning around, like, I can't do it. I'm like, okay, Brian, here's what you're gonna do. Walk right past the jewelry store, go to the bathroom. Just look at it. Just, you know, do some reconnaissance on the jewelry store. And I went to the bathroom and I was washing my hands. I'm like, all right, all right, now you have to walk in the store. And then somebody had come up and said, do you need anything? I said, no, I don't need nothing. Just in here looking. And then even after I bought the ring, when we were going to get engaged, I asked Scott to go with me. Scott, I'll remember this. I was so nervous about every five minutes. Scott, am I doing the right thing? 
Scott, am I doing the right thing? And finally, I think he got tired of me asking that question. He said, brother, we're going to stop and get you some food. And I think he was thinking, if his mouth is chewing, he can't be talking. And I, and I was sitting there. I was sitting there. And I was in my head, whew, and Scott, just as, as seriously as he can go, he says, brother, don't let it get you down. It doesn't mean anything. And I'm like, what is he talking about? And I looked over at my order total. You know what it was? 666. I'm like, ah, Satan's after me. That's a true story. Scott will remember that. But you know what? As scared as I was of commitment, our relationship needed commitment. If Jessica was here, she'd be amen. And she was tired of waiting on me to propose to her. We had a couple big fights about it. You're going to propose. No, I'm not. Like, we had some fights about it because I was so scared of commitment. But listen, for our relationship to take the next step, I had to step out and commit. I had to go to her and say, okay, me and you versus the world. And with church membership, that's all we're asking you to do. Well, not marry me. That would, sorry, I'm already married. You know, you're not that lucky. Uh, I'm asking you to step out and just say, I commit. Ramsey Heights versus the world, literally. Let's take the mission of Christ to other people. Let's work together. I commit to build a life with this. See, one of the problems we have in American Christianity is what uh, I like to call Burger King Christianity. You guys know the old Burger King slogan? Have it your way. And isn't that what churches have become? I want this kind of music. You can have it. No, I want that kind of music. You can also have that. We'll figure it out. I don't know. Uh, I want a young pastor. I'm young. I want an old pastor. I've got gray hair. Like, like we come up with all of these things trying to just convince people to come to church. I'll give you what you want. Just come here. But then here's what that's created is the second you don't get what you want, what do you do? You're out the doors. Never committed, never having been on the team, never having worked, never having been off the bench. Listen to me carefully. That was not God's plan. That's not how God designed for church to be. You notice what is never mentioned in that. The mission is never mentioned. You and I were called here to be on mission together. This isn't Sunday morning, let's show up and listen to somebody talk for 45 minutes. You and me, we're locked on this team and we are working for God in this community in every single way that we know how to. And God did not expect us to come in and just consume, to just take, to just say, I want more of this. God designed us to contribute. Listen, God has a plan for you here at Ramsey Heights or wherever God calls you to be. And his plan is for you to contribute so that you can do your part in the mission of getting people to Christ. That's what God wants for you. One of the things I'm most proud of, I probably say this too much, but I just want to brag on it. Uh, on, on, not on me, on, uh, on y'all. Listen, five years ago, our missions giving was a little over $2,000 a year. Now, I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying that was bad. But listen, listen how far we've come in about five years. In four Sundays, we did two mission drives this year. One in February, one about a month ago. In four Sundays, this church raised more than we used to give in a whole year to give to missions. This year, unless I've severely missed my estimate, I'll report on this at the beginning of the year. This year, Ramsey Heights is going to send somewhere between twelve dollars and $15,000 to missionaries to spread the gospel across the world. Yeah, that's awesome. You, you know why? Because we have contributors who say, hey, I'm a living sacrifice. God, here's my money. Take it and use it. 
Listen, let me, be very, let me be very clear. I don't get a raise if you put more in the offering plate. That's not how this works. Like we give our money, and it's the first thing we do. We give our money to the purpose of Christ to send out money and see God work because we all agree it's important and we all agree we're going to do this together. We all agree we're going to work together. One week from tomorrow night, we're going to meet up in the upper parking lot. We're going to share the gospel with a hundred kids or more. And we're going to tell them that Jesus loves them. And I don't know that anybody's going to break down and go, yes, Lord, I'll receive you now. I hope they do. But we're going to plant seeds because we're on mission together. And God called you to contribute, not to just be here and consume, not to just show up and and take. Uh, Let's continue reading what Paul says about contributing. Verse 6. Paul says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy accordingly to the proportion of faith. I'm not going to go through all that. I love the way the New King King James puts that. It says, we all have gifts differing accordingly to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. Our next take home truth is God has equipped you to contribute with unique abilities. And God has equipped you and he expects you to use those abilities within a team, within a local church, a small gathering of Christians. He's put us together for the purpose of coming on mission together. And you know what this this tells me? This tells me that you and I, we need each other. Like, Like God has designed you to need to be attached to the body of Christ. He needs you somewhere he's given you a gift that he expects you to use and if god has called you here what that tells me is that god has a plan for you to use that gifting and that ability to work here at ramsey heights you need us as a body to attach to we need you as somebody to bring in a unique skill if you're not contributing we're both missing out you're missing out on one of the greatest blessings of life is getting to work for christ I mean, seriously, like I, you had told me that 20 years ago, I would have thought you were crazy. The church is boring. Like, like that's what I would have thought. But let me tell you, there is nothing greater in life than pouring out your heart and soul and seeing what God can do with it. It's wonderful. And we're missing out because you're the missing piece of the puzzle that, that God has sent here and designed us to need. So let's have a moment of introspection. I want to ask you three questions. And I want you to answer these. You don't have to answer them to me. I want you to answer them to yourselves. Okay, question A is this. Is is Ramsey Heights where God is calling me? Is Ramsey Heights where God is calling me? Now that's a serious question. And I'm not going to tell you what your answer to that question is. But I want you to spend some time thinking about, is Ramsey Heights where God is calling me? Or am I serious about being here because God called me to? Listen, if you're coming here because you like the music or you like the projectors or something's wrong with your head and you like me, you like the way the building is built, you like where it's at, it's convenient, all of those reasons are not a reason for you to be here. And I'll be clear, I deeply, deeply love this church. And it means a lot to me that you find value in something I love so deeply. But we're not here to build the kingdom of Ramsey Heights. We're here to build the kingdom of God. And the truth is, if God wants you here, we love you and we want you here. If God has somewhere else to be, we still love you, but we want you to be where God wants you to be because we believe he knows better than we do. So I'm asking you to ask yourself, is there this where God wants me? If you answer yes to that, question B, the second question I'd have you ask is, why is God calling me to Ramsey Heights? I want to be very clear. We are here for you. 
We want this to be a place where you spiritually grow. For some of you, you need a place to heal. We want Ramsey Heights to be that place for you. We want this to be a place that you feel joy and excitement and we celebrate salvations and baptisms and we work together. We're, we're going to work. We're going to pour concrete later today. I hate concrete work. I'm so looking forward to it. You know why? I'm going to be with y'all. It's going to be the best time I've had all week. Like, 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 come here, we want you to have those things, but also understand that if God is calling you, He has a plan for you, that plan for you to contribute to the mission in some way. That way may just simply be that you need to be somewhere where somebody can mentor you and mature you. That's part of, that's part of my story. Like, I didn't just get hired at Ramsey Heights and show up here. I've been here since I was 11, and there is a long line of people, many of them sitting in this room, who have grown me to the point where I can serve God in this capacity. Maybe that's God's plan for you right now is that he wants to grow you and give you more responsibility as time goes on. Maybe you have a gift that he is just dying for you to use. You know who my favorite people are? It's the people with the gift of encouragement. They don't have to do anything at church. They just walk around and smile and say nice things to people. You know who I look for when I get here? I look for those encouragers because their gifting is so important to the spirit of this church. Like, like God has a place for you. Ask yourself, what is that place? What is he doing? We want to see that gift used in you. And so if you answered yes to both of those questions, or you know this question, the second one, here's question number three, uh, C on your outline there. It is, what is keeping me from committing to membership? If you're sitting here and you're having to ask yourself that question, we've got a bit of a problem. Not me and you, but you've got some things I'm going to ask you to wrestle with today. Like, what's keeping you, if you know God is calling you here, and you know God has a purpose for you here, why are you not saying yes? And I understand there's some times like, right now, Brian, we're just checking things out. We feel like this is a good place for us, but we're not real sure. I get that. But you may also be saying, oh, Brian, I just really don't have time to commit. I just want to show up and enjoy. You may also be saying to yourself, there's some hurdles that I don't like. I just, I don't want, I don't want to take that step because Brian's going to make me stand in front of everybody and that's scary. For some of you, it may require you to be baptized and you're like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be baptized. Well, let me say this to you about whatever hurdle you're facing. If you can answer, yes, God has called me here and you know why God has called you here, listen carefully. If there's a hurdle in front of you to becoming a member at Ramsey Heights, God knew that hurdle was going to be there before he calls you here. And if he called you here, he called you here with full faith that you could and would be able to take and jump that hurdle. Listen, I hate being called Pastor Brian. I'm just Brian. I'm a regular guy. Did you know that as pastor, uh, this is a stressful job sometimes? I tell people all the time, I got gray hair. You know why? I got it after I became pastor. Like, like there are things sometimes that I, I get here and I'm like, oh God, it, seriously, I, you cannot want me to do this. This is not what's happening. I have to jump my own hurdles. And you know what? I always have to remind myself, God called you here. God has a plan for you. And God knew this would be a hurdle and he's going to give you the power to get over it. I'd ask you to look into your own heart and see if maybe God is calling you to do something uncomfortable and he's giving you the power to do it if he's called you here. See, God created us as individuals who needed to be connected to the body, and he has gifted us for a purpose. You and I have received the greatest gift ever known to man. God himself came to this world, and he became flesh. I don't know about you guys. I understand how big of a deal that is now that I get a little bit older, and joints start to hurt, and then there's stomach bugs, and you get sick, and COVID, and hair falls. Like, why would God come here and put himself in one of these 
Because he loved you. And did you know that to get you, he had to go over one of his own hurdles? He had to commit to something he didn't want to do. He had to commit to do the hard things. That was his place off of the bench. So there's a story in the Bible right before Jesus is crucified where he takes his disciples and he goes up to a mountain. He says, you guys stay here. I just need you to pray. And he goes off by himself and he finds a tree and he falls down to the tree and he starts crying and he's under so much stress. He's dripping blood. And you know what he's saying to God? He's saying, God the Father, I don't want to do this. This is going to be hard. But if this is your plan, I'll do the hard thing. And because of that, because of Jesus' ability to commit, because of his willingness to jump hurdles, you know what me and you have access to? We have access to the God of the universe. He's going to be with me forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Or I'm going to be with him, I guess I should say. And what we get to do as a church is we get to take that message and we get to spread his love. Listen, if you're here today, somebody else spread Jesus' love to you. Maybe it was your family. Maybe it was somebody at a church. Maybe somebody you worked with. If you're here today, you're here because somewhere somebody either has or has tried to spread his love with you. And so we get to be part of a team. We get to be part of a church that goes on mission together to spread that out. Liv, if you want to come up here, come up here. Well, if you don't want to come up here, come up here. This is our response time. We used to call it invitation. You can come talk to me. I stand up here every time. But what I want you to do is I want you to assess what we've talked about today for you personally. And if you're sitting there and God's pulling on your heart and saying, hey, it's time. Maybe today it's time for you to be saved. Like, I'm going to commit to God. No more waiting around and just seeing how this God thing goes. I'm going to put my faith in Him. I'm going to become a follower of Christ. Listen, I didn't drain the baptistry. It's still warm. We'll go up there right now. I'll drive home in wet pants. It doesn't bother me. Like, like don't leave here not committing to God. But for some of you, you may be thinking, okay, God's calling me to be here. God's calling me to membership. If that's you, today can be the day. Now listen, I understand for some of you, it's a family decision. We can't just walk up there in the middle of service. Lean over to your family and say, we're going to figure this out tonight. We're going to talk about this. We're going to make a decision. We're going to come back next week. But whatever you do, don't leave here the same as you walked in. You came here today to be transformed, not conformed to the world. Let's stand and worship.